We are drawn to each other, humans. Maybe this comes down to animal instinct. To be a part of a herd, a pack. To be insulated within a group, for support, for affection, maybe even for protection against the outside world, against others. This isn't to say that some people like to live in isolation, to prefer nights at home alone with a good book and a glass of wine, rather than nights out at the movies or at the bar with friends. There are those who choose to live their lives solo and are more than happy to do so. And then there are those like my partner who absolutely need those blessed moments of solitude. We're married and we do most everything together. We share our small home by the cemetery and the square footage doesn't allow much in the way of separation. So I often take off for a few hours to give her that time. Not that she ever asks me to go away, although I wouldn't blame her if she did. I am, admittedly, a lot to handle. I, on the other hand, suffer from a debilitating case of FOMO, and I live to be around anyone and everyone as often as I can. Our divergent personalities in that way can be taxing on the relationship at times, but also beneficial. While I sometimes get her to come out of her shell, she's continually teaching me to sit down, shut up, and spend time with... Obviously the one person I would rather run away from, myself. No matter the personality type, or preference for openness versus seclusion, humans tend to adapt to the situations they find themselves in. Getting stuck in an elevator or on an airplane forever taxiing the runway, we form fast friendships and alliances with strangers. How often do we commiserate with the other poor souls languishing in DMV waiting rooms or cowering beneath a bus shelter in a rainstorm? Maybe it's like the old adage, misery loves company. We also form these connections in other, more pleasant situations. We make friends, if only for the briefest of moments, while huddling together outside a concert for a cigarette, or while waiting in line for the bookstore doors to open and provide you with the latest novel in your favorite series. But how about longer experiences? When we save and plan for our dream vacation, we arrive and find ourselves among couples and others who have done the same exact thing. You exchange stories around a shared campfire in tucked away forests or compare scars on a cliffside. You find excursion partners at all-inclusive resorts or trade music suggestions and seasickness pills with the folks in the cruise ship stateroom next to yours. Maybe you're both from the same small town in Idaho, but you haven't met until you found yourselves in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, 3,000 miles away. Sometimes these friendships last as long as the vacation, or just the excruciating wait time at the post office. Sometimes they can last much, much longer. But what happens if the unthinkable occurs? Your coastal resort is enveloped by a tropical storm. Your plane crashes on a deserted island. What happens when you are suddenly cut off from help and civilization with these fast friends? We've all seen Lord of the Flies. Most of us have seen Lost. Do our friendships, our alliances remain intact? Or, when everything begins to break down, do we form new ones? And finally, no matter how introverted or extroverted we might be, how do we know if we've chosen the right side? Ladies and gentlemen, the doctor is in, and the haunt is on.
Chapter 2 Greg Hughes slid the plastic keycard into the reader and waited for the green light. There was a mechanical click and he pushed the door open to his stateroom. At first, he didn't take in the amenities of the room, nor did he gaze out at the view beyond the large sliding doors that led to his balcony. Instead, his mind was wrapped around the woman he'd shared the elevator with. He stood in the entryway, leaning against the open door, the number 208 catching and reflecting the light from the hall, his own hot breath fogging his glasses from the mask he'd forgotten to take off. In his mind, he replayed the whole scene. Coming in at the tail end of most of the passengers, Greg let a full elevator car go ahead without him, and he waited for the next one. He peered down the darkened corridors to the lowest floor and made a mental note to write about their closure. When writing his reviews, he actually kept a yellow legal pad with a pros and cons list. Helped keep everything organized. So far, his pad was lopsided in the pro column. With him noting the wealth of solid, helpful information on the lead-up, no-before-you-go emails. The friendliness and support of Celebration Vacations Embarkation staff. The swift and orderly virus testing situation. And the provided free refreshments while waiting for the result. The only con he'd noted so far was the lack of alcohol in those same refreshments. But that probably wouldn't make it into the article. A stiff drink just would have been nice after his flight from Albuquerque. The darkened hallways, the subtle eeriness, didn't really sway him into the pro or con column. Not yet, at least. In the mirrored compartment of the elevator, waiting for the doors to close, which took much longer than he would have liked, he could hear someone rushing. Greg put a hand out and a tall brunette jumped in, two suitcases bumping along behind her. She was out of breath behind her mask, and between puffs, repeated a faint, thank you. And then, you don't know what kind of afternoon I've had. Greg wanted to say, no, but maybe you could tell me about it over drinks later. But he already heard himself saying, at least you made it. I made it, she repeated. She was damp with sweat, although Greg's father used to tell him that women didn't sweat. They glistened. Her glistening form was all but transparent beneath a thin cotton dress. A polka dot bikini top was visible through the sheer blue fabric. First time cruising, Greg asked, wishing the damn doors would close so no other last-minute arrival could crash their budding conversation. Yeah, she said, some normalcy returning to her breathing. Actually, this was sort of a last-minute decision. The doors finally slid closed. Impulse vacations are sometimes necessary, aren't they? Greg was already dreaming up scenarios of the woman's life. Maybe she'd just broken up with her boyfriend and needed to get away. The breaking was her doing, of course, as she'd either found out about her partner's infidelity or simply got fed up with his lack of attention. Either way, it was over, and she needed to clear her mind and her palate. Greg hoped for this. Not my impulse, she said, and Greg felt a pang of disappointment. Normally I plan out which flavor of ice cream I want a few days in advance. So how'd this happen, he asked. A friend of mine from the library had already bought the ticket, and yesterday she had to bail, so here I am. Greg smiled. A book club friend? Nope. I work at the Carnegie Library in Pittsburgh. A librarian? The woman smiled back. I know what you're thinking. Librarians are old, they've got lipstick on their teeth, and their slips are always showing. Their fingers atrophied into one gesture, she said, putting her index finger over her lips as if to silence him. 
You do seem to be a bit young for such an image, Greg said, and felt himself flush. The car stopped on the second floor, which was listed as Deck 6. The numbers ran backward, going from 7 on the lowest public level, up to 2 where his cabin was. Deck 1 led to the pools and outdoor amenities, while Deck 0 was for crew and employees only, and required a key to access. A blue and yellow uniformed employee pushed in a heavily loaded luggage cart, Then the man stepped out to get the second. Soon the pair were pushed back against the wall, and closer together. That's what my professors kept saying after they told me it was a dying profession. How about you? She asked, pulling down her mask. What about me? Greg asked, finding himself zeroed in on her lips. There was a faint coloring in them, a subtle red, but he couldn't tell whether the coating was stick or gloss. It didn't matter, though, as he wouldn't mind either smeared onto his own lips. Is this your first time? she asked. Oh no, I've been on a few of these before. You don't sound too excited about it. No, it isn't that. Well, Greg said, pausing. He didn't like letting other passengers know he was a reviewer. Because he'd learned that this usually led to an onslaught of questions about what was really going on behind the scenes of the ship. The handling of food, the sex lives of the employees, the removal of garbage, whether or not the captain was a drunk as if Greg was privy himself. But he decided to go for it. I'm here on business. Strange location for a conference. Isn't a cruise ship a bit isolated? Well, the ship is my business. I'm here to write a review about the Baroness, Greg said. The elevator stopped again on the fourth floor, and the two giant carts and their driver left Greg and this mystery woman alone once again. How about that, she said, her voice free of the usual animation he received. She was interested in the job itself, but it seemed not any of the perks she might be able to glean from his career. This wasn't obvious from the three words, but somehow, Greg could feel that. He liked her already. He was going to ask whether or not she'd come alone, but judging from the exertion she'd spent lugging two pieces of luggage onto the elevator, the answer seemed obvious. She was perfect. A young, single librarian that used common sense and planning. Too good to be true. Instead, he started to ask her name, but the doors were opening again on Deck 3, which led into the bars, casinos, and shops in the belly of the ship. A group of bachelorettes rolled in, their cloud of conversation, mostly excited high-pitched chants and clicks of their phone cameras, sunk Greg's opportunity. He tried to make eye contact with her again, but through bobbing hair and tiaras, he'd lost her. They reached the last public floor, and all the women, including the librarian, went left down the hallway, while the directory plaque ahead of him told Greg his stateroom was to the right. When he stepped off, he tried to catch a glimpse of the woman again, but she was flanked and hidden by the bridesmaids. At least they were on the same level. That was good. Much more likely that he'd run into her again. God, he hoped he would. The beauty of a cruise ship was that random encounters had a higher probability once they were out at sea. There were only so many places for people to go or hide. Now, in his room, he took in the accommodations. Being from the magazine, cruise companies always put him in the -the state-of-the-art rooms, the suites, the rooms with the best views and the easiest access to the plethora of activities and attractions the boat had to offer, as if this is what everyone, no matter their economic background, experienced. But he knew there was a tier system, a hierarchy to the ship's levels in place, a mixture of feudal empire and American economic diversity. 
The upper floors catered to the wealthier cruisers, consisting of the gaudiest and most lavish quarters, while the two or three below housed the restaurants, casino, jewelry, and duty-free liquor stores. Below those were the average cabins. These were nice, well-decorated, much like one would find in a Best Western or a Holiday Inn Express, and the occupants were usually branch managers, professional tradespeople, military personnel, professors, the like. These levels were suburbia, an ethereal white picket fence drawn around each stateroom. Deep in the belly, the lowest floors were home to the cruise quarters and the below-average staterooms. Below-average not in quality, but in space and prestige. These usually had one full-size bed or a pair of twins that nearly filled the space, and the bathrooms weren't a separated area, but divided by a folding door, the water from the shower often seeping out into the carpet beneath the bed. These rooms didn't have balconies, nor was there access to fresh sea air. Instead, a single circular porthole provided close-up views of the churning ocean. Greg had been assigned to these sorts of rooms when he was first starting out, but as his reputation grew, so too did his command of the upper floors. He hadn't minded much, but he spent much less time in his room, and more in the various bars, theaters, and whatever else the ship offered. Now, the time spent locked into his room and exploring the ship were fairly evenly matched. Partly because of the space and luxury, but also because he was getting older. He was approaching his late 30s, and decompression time, away from the bustle of tourists, had become a necessity. Then, there were the windowless rooms. These were the least expensive options that lined the inside of the ship. He'd never stayed in an interior stateroom before, but even a small porthole would have helped the sheer claustrophobia of those cheaper cabins. Greg couldn't imagine anyone wanting to spend a single waking moment within those rooms, rather than using the room for utilitarian purposes only, and saw them spending the majority of their time wandering the upper decks and gripping the metal railings circling the utmost portions, staring out at the sunsets, views that were absent from their quarters. No, he needed natural light or he'd lose it, but for some, that was all they could afford. Every cruise ship was different, of course, but Greg figured the layout was virtually the same for the Baroness. It was down in those lower floors, the windowless rooms, where whatever transpired on the maiden voyage had taken place. He wondered if people in the guts of the ship could feel it, like something was off in the stuffy, fluorescent-lighted staterooms, a sense of unease or sickness left behind by the first occupants, something ingrained. He'd have to seek someone out, someone older, maybe, preferably, or a young couple, get their thoughts, their perspective. What do you think it would be like to stay in one of those rooms? Could you do it? That would add another dimension to his review. His editor would eat that up. But he was getting ahead of himself. One step at a time. Greg allowed the stateroom door to close behind him. He pulled off the paper mask and tossed it onto the desk. The room celebration vacations had provided was incredible. Artists' renderings of the world's beaches and the few frames mounted to the simple, soft, yellow-painted walls. A long sectional couch. Lush blue carpet with pale gold swirls and other erratic designs snaking and crossing beneath his feet. There was a large wooden rectangle at the foot of the massive bed, which Greg assumed housed the machinery necessary to raise and lower a flat-screen TV. But how could you even think about watching the news or reruns of the latest sitcoms when that view was available? 
Through the balcony doors, Greg looked out over the curving beaches, with swimmers and sunbathers like ants on the white sand. The other docked cruise liners appeared far away, shrunken. From the height of his room, he felt as if he were looking down on these other ships. Celebration Vacation's flagship towered over them. He wondered if cruisers standing in their staterooms aboard those ships were looking back at him, at the Baroness, and felt intimidated. Greg's attention was drawn to the center of the bed. The hair on his neck prickled. On nearly every cruise he had taken, the majority of which were a result of his job, he had encountered many different welcoming items. Mints on pillows, chilled champagne, fruit and chocolate baskets. He thought they always amped it up for him. Cruises weren't supposed to know that he was there to review the many facets of luxury sea travel for Gateways magazine, but word spreads fast, and he was always treated like a visiting dignitary. He found the whole thing cloying, a bit smothering, but how could he really complain? He was getting paid to be treated that way, and a handsome salary at that. Besides, those perks were nice. He thought again about the librarian from the elevator and wondered if he'd be assigned to the same table during the evening's formal dinners. One thing that the cruise company did in their staterooms, however, no matter if his status had been revealed or not, was to fashion their bleached white towels into recreations of animals. He'd always assumed the housekeeping staff took classes in towel design, a form of cloth origami. Birds, penguins, rabbits... He'd seen a variety of animals and had always been impressed at their ability to retain their shape without duct tape or glue. Greg himself could barely fold a paper napkin. He neared the bed, getting a closer look at what the creature the staff of the Baroness had left him, and found there were actually two shapes. Dogs. They weren't rolling around or poised in a playing position like he'd seen before, though. One dog was pointed toward the balcony doors, while the second had its forepaws on the back of the first mounting it. Looking closer, he could see that the dominant canine had been fashioned with a tightly rolled washcloth affixed to its underside that made the tableau appear like one of those National Geographic specials about mating habits. While Greg was no stranger to sex, and even more so to casual affairs, for a brief moment his mind replaced the cloth dogs with an image of himself and the librarian on the same bed. But this was a pretty obscene gesture to walk into. This was being billed as an adults-only cruise, but wasn't this a little too suggestive? No, it didn't feel like merely a suggestion. This felt like a demand. Greg gathered up the towels, shook out the folds, and then draped them over the desk chair. He knew he'd have to write about this in his review, but he was sure no matter how hard he tried to subdue that imagery, the words would still come across as trite or titillating. Which column would this fall under? Maybe he needed another column, something outside of your normal pro and con. A WTF section just for this cruise. He'd hold on to the image, keep it up his sleeve in case the cruise experience was terrible, then use it then. This might have been someone's idea of a joke, or a middle finger from a disgruntled employee. But he wasn't going to make that the focus of his review. No, he would be objective and precise, leaving no activity unattended or special service skipped. Besides, after the swirling rumor mill around the maiden voyage of the Baroness, he'd have more than enough to write about. She'd commenced that first trip, despite insider advice and news reports of a vicious new virus ravaging Asia and Europe, in February of 2020. She had departed, with a lower-than-anticipated booking due to those same reports, from Fort Lauderdale, 
and within four days of being at sea and one full day docked in the Cayman Islands, she was denied entry to any other ports in the Caribbean. The virus was locking the world down, while simultaneously spreading among the passengers on the lower levels. Then the middle levels. Everywhere. No one was safe on board, and everyone was supposed to be in quarantine. Food and other supplies became scarce after days of rudderless floating. Conditions deteriorated. The death toll was officially listed at 43, though how many were due to the virus itself was debatable. There were rumors of assaults in darkened corridors, of looting, of a young woman being thrown overboard, but nothing concrete. A few news outlets had covered the story of the Baroness, but the bulk of the information was hearsay, and vague at that, because most of the cruisers who'd been aboard simply didn't want to talk about the trip. Celebration Vacations obviously kept whatever information they had confidential, as they didn't want to metaphorically sink their multi-billion dollar flagship before her second voyage. Most of all, the cruise ship and the horrors the virus had created within her hull were just one of thousands, millions of stories emerging in the wake of the worldwide pandemic. While unzipping his luggage, Greg's thoughts once again returned to the woman from the elevator. He wanted to kick himself for not asking her name, or walking with her down the hall to keep talking. It was stupid, like he was back in middle school. But he had 17 days, from now until Italy, to rectify that mistake. Though it was brief, he felt a connection. A spark, as they say. Greg wondered if she had felt the same thing. This notion carried him through the process of unpacking. Toiletries to the bathroom, button-down shirts to the tiny closet. Cell phone charger by the bedside table, even though he'd have no signal. He brushed his teeth, splashed water on his face, then dried himself off with the crumpled towel that was once a dog, their crude positioning already fading somewhat from his mind. After spraying a few puffs of cologne along his collarbone, Greg snatched up his stateroom key. Then he was out the door, headed for the nearest outdoor bar, hoping the librarian in the bikini had the same idea. He pressed the down button, thinking he'd check out the casino first, and waited. The hallway was deserted for the moment, but the subtle murmur of excited voices, of anticipation, could be heard from a dozen staterooms. This was always the best part. The first night, waiting to depart, everything is beautiful and new, so many drinks to order and games to play, so much left to explore. When the car arrived, a pair of couples stepped out, filling the hallway with animated yet slurred chatter. They'd already been to one of the many bars on board. One man had his right arm slung around a woman half his age while he put up his left to give Greg a high five. He watched the four move toward their respective rooms, noting their crew's ID cards, the club fun card, hanging from necks and wrists, then stepped onto the elevator. He needed to stop by guest services and get his own card. It wasn't until the doors had closed and he felt himself descending that Greg realized he wasn't alone. An employee stood in the corner, with his back to Greg and the doors. He was a good three or four inches taller than Greg's six-foot frame, with a shock of blonde hair reflecting the overhead lights. The man's head was lowered, like he was checking his phone, praying, or relieving himself, or some other activity that people generally did not do in the corner of an elevator. Damn, Greg said. Didn't even see you there. The man said nothing, just swayed ever so slightly from side to side. A stop on the next floor, with more buzzing stateroom chatter drifting in. The employee behind him joined in, mumbling to himself, 
not loud enough to make out, but like he was emulating the snatches of conversations down the hallway. Sorry, Greg said. You say something? Still no response. At least not to anyone present. The man kept mumbling as the doors closed again, and Greg could just make out the employee repeat, He is. He is. He is. Mixed in with other muddled words. Greg felt a wave of anxiety, wishing he'd jumped off and taken the stairs. When he got to deck three, music, laughter, and energy washed over him, and he stepped out into it. The man's volume rose again with the bustle of the promenade, and Greg made another mental note to file that squarely into the the what-the-fuck column on his yellow legal pad. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. An all-new chapter will drop next Tuesday. The theme song for The Ghost Modernist was provided by Atrium Carcheri. Also, I'll be checking the messages and comments on my Instagram page, at The Ghost Modernist, to see what you think about the story and where it's going. I'm super excited to be taking another journey with you guys, and I cannot wait to see where we go next. That's it for this week, folks. And remember, there are two types of people in this world, the haunters and the haunted. Which one are you?